section fourteen of the chouan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three part four presently they reached a village or rather a collection of huts like that of gallop chopin where the rest of the congregation arrived before mademoiselle de venouille had finished the milk and bread and butter which formed the meal this irregular company was led by the abbe who held in his hand a rough cross draped with a flag followed by agar who was proudly carrying the parish banner mademoiselle de venouille was compelled to mingle with this detachment which was on its way like herself to st james and would naturally protect her from all danger as soon as galop chopin informed them that the gar glove was in her possession provided always that the abbe did not see her towards sunset the three travellers arrived safely at st james a little town which owes its name to the english by whom it was built in the fourteenth century during their occupation of brittany before entering it mademoiselle de venouille was witness of a strange scene of this strange war to which however she gave little attention she feared to be recognized by some of her enemies and this dread hastened her steps five or six thousand peasants were camping in a field their clothing was not in any degree warlike in fact this tumultuous assembly resembled that of a great fair some attention was needed to even observe that these bretons were armed for their goatskins were so made as to hide their guns and the weapons that were chiefly visible were the scythes with which some of the men had armed themselves while awaiting the distribution of muskets some were eating and drinking others were fighting and quarrelling in loud tones but the greater part were sleeping on the ground an officer in a red uniform attracted mademoiselle de venouille's attention and she supposed him to belong to the english service at a little distance two other officers seemed to be trying to teach a few chouans more intelligent than the rest to handle two cannon which apparently formed the whole artillery of the royalist army shouts hailed the coming of the gar of marraniers who were recognized by their banner under cover of the tumult which the newcomers and the priests excited in the camp mademoiselle de venouille was able to make her way past it and into the town without danger she stopped at a plain-looking inn not far from the building where the ball was to be given the town was so full of strangers that she could only obtain one miserable room when she was safely in it galop chopin brought francine the box which contained the ball dress and having done so he stood stock still in an attitude of indescribable irresolution at any other time mademoiselle de venouille would have been much amused to see what a breton peasant can be like when he leaves his native parish but now she broke the charm by opening her purse and producing four crowns of six francs each which she gave him take it she said and if you wish to oblige me you will go straight back to fougeres without entering the camp or drinking any cider the chouan amazed at her liberality looked first at the crowns which he had taken 
and then at mademoiselle de venouille but she made him a sign with her hand and he disappeared how could you send him away mademoiselle said francine don't you see how the place is surrounded we shall never get away and who will protect you here you have a protector of your own said marie maliciously giving in an undertone marchatter's owl cry which she was constantly practising francine coloured and smiled rather sadly at her mistress's gaiety but who is yours she said mademoiselle de venouille plucked out her dagger and showed it to the frightened girl who dropped on a chair and clasped her hands what have you come here for marie she cried in a supplicating voice which asked no answer mademoiselle de venouille was busily twisting the branches of holly which she had gathered i don't know whether this holly will be becoming she said a brilliant skin like mine may possibly bear a dark wreath of this kind what do you think francine several remarks of the same kind as she dressed for the ball showed the absolute self-possession and coolness of this strange woman whoever had listened to her then would have found it hard to believe in the gravity of a situation in which she was risking her life an indian muslin gown rather short and clinging like damp linen revealed the delicate outlines of her shape over this she wore a red drapery numerous folds of which gradually lengthening as they fell by her side took the graceful curves of a greek peplum this voluptuous garment of the pagan priestesses lessened the indecency of the rest of the attire which the fashions of the time suffered women to wear to soften its immodesty still further marie threw a gauze scarf over her shoulders left bare and far too low by the red drapery she wound the long braids of her hair into the flat irregular comb above the nape of the neck which gives such grace to certain antique statues by an artistic elongation of the head while a few stray locks escaping from her forehead fell in shining curls beside her cheeks with a form and head thus dressed she presented a perfect likeness of the noble masterpieces of greek sculpture she smiled as she looked with approval at the arrangement of her hair which brought out the beauties of her face while the scarlet berries of the holly wreath which she had laid upon it repeated charmingly the colour of the peplum as she twisted and turned a few leaves to give capricious diversity to their arrangement she examined her whole costume in a mirror to judge of its general effect i am horrible to-night she said as though she were surrounded by flatterers i look like a statue of liberty she placed the dagger carefully in her bosom leaving the rubies in the hilt exposed their ruddy reflections attracting the eye to the hidden beauties of her shape francine could not bring herself to leave her mistress when marie was ready she made various pretexts to follow her she must help her to take off her mantle and the overshoes which the mud and muck in the streets compelled her to wear though the roads had been sanded for this occasion also the gauze veil which mademoiselle de venouille had thrown over her head to conceal her features from the chouans who were collecting in the streets to watch the company the crowd was in fact so great that they were forced to make their way through two hedges of chouans 
francine no longer strove to detain her mistress and after giving a few last touches to a costume the greatest charm of which was its exquisite freshness she stationed herself in the courtyard that she might not abandon this beloved mistress to her fate without being able to fly to her succour for the poor girl foresaw only evil in these events a strange scene was taking place in montlan's chamber as marie was on her way to the ball the young marquis who had just finished dressing was putting on the broad red ribbon which distinguished him as first in rank of the assembly when the abbe goudin entered the room with an anxious air monsieur le marquis come quickly he said you alone can quell a tumult which has broken out i don't know why among the leaders they talk of abandoning the king's cause i think that devil of a riffoel is at the bottom of it such quarrels are always caused by some mere nonsense madame du Gois reproached him so i hear for coming to the ball ill-dressed that woman must be crazy cried the marquis to try to riffoel retorted continued the abbe interrupting his chief that if you had given him the money promised him in the king's name enough enough i understand it all now this scene has all been arranged and you are put forward as ambassador i monsieur le marquis said the abbe again interrupting him i am supporting you vigorously and you will i hope do me the justice to believe that the restoration of our altars in france and that of the king upon the throne of his fathers are far more powerful incentives to my humble labours than the bishopric of rennes which you the abbe dared say no more for the marquis smiled bitterly at his last words however the young chief instantly repressed all expression of feeling his brow grew stern and he followed the abbe goudin into a hall where the worst of the clamour was echoing i recognise no authority here riffoel was saying casting angry looks at all about him and laying his hand on the hilt of his sabre do you recognise that of common sense asked the marquis coldly the young chevalier de Vissar, better known under his patronymic of riffoel was silent before the general of the catholic armies what is all this about gentlemen asked the marquis examining the faces round him this monsieur le marquis said a famous smuggler with the awkwardness of a man of the people who long remains under the yoke of respect to a great lord though he admits no barriers after he has once jumped them and regards the aristocrat as an equal only this he said and you have come in the nick of time to hear it i am no speaker of gilded phrases and i shall say things plainly i commanded five hundred men during the late war since we have taken up arms again i have raised a thousand heads as hard as mine for the service of the king it is now seven years that i have risked my life in the good cause i don't blame you but i say that the labourer is worthy of his hire now to begin with i demand that i be called monsieur de Cartereau. i also demand that the rank of colonel shall be granted me or i send in my adhesion to the first consul let me tell you monsieur le marquis my men and i have a devilishly importunate creditor who must be satisfied he's here he added striking his stomach have the musicians come said the marquis in a contemptuous tone turning to madame de Gois. but the smuggler had dealt boldly with an important topic 
and the calculating ambitious minds of those present had been too long in suspense as to what they might hope for from the king to allow the scorn of their new leader to put an end to the scene riffoel hastily blocked the way before montauran and seized his hand to oblige him to remain take care monsieur le marquis he said you are treating far too lightly men who have a right to the gratitude of him whom you are here to represent we know that his majesty has sent you with full powers to judge of our services and we say that they ought to be recognized and rewarded for we risk our heads upon the scaffold daily i know so far as i am concerned that the rank of a brigadier-general you mean colonel no monsieur le marquis charette made me a colonel the rank i mention cannot be denied me i am not arguing for myself i speak for my brave brothers-in-arms whose services ought to be recorded your signature and your promise will suffice them for the present though he added in a low voice i must say they are satisfied with very little but he continued raising his voice when the sun rises on the chateau of versailles to glorify the return of the monarchy after the faithful have conquered france in france for the king will they obtain favours for their families pensions for widows and the restitution of their confiscated property i doubt it but monsieur le marquis we must have certified proof of our services when that time comes i will never distrust the king but i do distrust those cormorants of ministers and courtiers who tingle his ears with talk about the public welfare the honour of france the interests of the crown and other crotchets they will sneer at a loyal vandalian or a brave chouan because he is old and the sword he drew for the good cause dangles on his withered legs palsied with exposure can you say that we are wrong in feeling thus you talk well monsieur de Vissart, but you are over hasty replied the marquis listen marquis said the comte de bovin in a whisper riffowel has really on my word told the truth you are sure yourself to have the ear of the king while the rest of us only see him at a distance and from time to time i will own to you that if you do not give me your word as a gentleman that i shall in due course of time obtain the place of master of woods and waters in france the devil take me if i will risk my neck any longer to conquer normandy for the king is not an easy matter and i demand the order for it but he added colouring there is time enough to think of that god forbid that i should imitate these poor mercenaries and harass you speak to the king for me and that's enough each of the chiefs found means to let the marquis know in a more or less ingenious manner the exaggerated price they set upon their services one modestly demanded the governorship of brittany another a barony this one a promotion that one a command and all wanted pensions well baron said the marquis de monsieur de Genique, don't you want anything these gentlemen have left me nothing but the crown of france marquis but i might manage to put up with that gentlemen cried the abbe goudin in a loud voice remember that if you are too eager you will spoil everything in the day of victory the king will then be compelled to make concessions to the revolutionists to those jacobins shouted the smuggler ha if the king would let me have my way i'd answer for my thousand men we'd soon wring their necks and be rid of them monsieur de cotereau said the marquis i see some of our invited guests arriving we must all do our best by attention and courtesy to make them share our sacred enterprise 
you will agree i am sure that this is not the moment to bring forward your demands however just they may be so saying the marquis went to the door as if to meet certain of the country nobles who were entering the room but the bold smuggler barred his way in a respectful manner no no monsieur le marquis excuse me he said the jacobins taught me too well in seventeen ninety three that it is not he who sows and reaps who eats the bread sign this bit of paper for me and to-morrow i'll bring you fifteen hundred gar if not i'll treat with the first consul looking haughtily about him the marquis saw plainly that the boldness of the old partisan and his resolute air were not displeasing to any of the spectators of this debate one man alone sitting by himself in a corner of the room appeared to take no part in the scene and to be chiefly occupied in filling his pipe the contemptuous air with which he glanced at the speakers his modest demeanour and a look of sympathy which the marquis encountered in his eyes made the young leader observe the man whom he then recognised as major brigot and he went suddenly up to him and you what do you want he said oh monsieur le marquis if the king comes back that's all i want but for yourself for myself are you joking the marquis pressed the horny hand of the breton and said to madame de goy who was near them madame i may perish in this enterprise before i have time to make a faithful report to the king on the catholic armies of brittany i charge you in case you live to see the restoration not to forget this honourable man nor the baron de genique there is more devotion in them than in all those other men put together he pointed to the chiefs who were waiting with some impatience till the marquis should reply to their demands they were all holding papers in their hands on which no doubt their services were recorded over the signatures of the various generals of the former war and all were murmuring the abbe goudin and comte de bourbon and the baron de genique were consulting how best to help the marquis in rejecting these extravagant demands for they felt the position of the young leader to be extremely delicate suddenly the marquis ran his blue eyes gleaming with satire over the whole assembly and said in a clear voice gentlemen i do not know whether the powers which the king has graciously assigned to me are such that i am able to satisfy your demands he doubtless did not foresee such zeal such devotion on your part you shall judge yourselves of the duties put upon me duties which i shall know how to accomplish so saying he left the room and returned immediately holding in his hand an open letter bearing the royal seal and signature these are the letters patent in virtue of which you are to obey me he said they authorize me to govern the provinces of brittany normandy Maine, and anjou in the king's name and to recognize the services of such officers as may distinguish themselves in his armies a movement of satisfaction ran through the assembly the chouan approached the marquis and made a respectful circle round him all eyes fastened on the king's signature the young chief who was standing near the chimney suddenly threw the letters into the fire and they were burned in a second i do not choose to command any cried the young man but those who see a king in the king and not a prey to prey upon you are free gentlemen to leave me madame de goy the abbe goudin major brigot the chevalier du vissard 
the baron du genic and the comte de beauvoir raised the cry of vive le roi for a moment the other leaders hesitated then carried away by the noble action of the marquis they begged him to forget what had passed assuring him that letters patent or not he must always be their leader come and dance cried the comte de beauvoir and happen what will after all he added gaily it is better my friends to pray to god than the saints let us fight first and see what comes of it ha that's good advice said rigaud i have never yet known a day's pay drawn in the morning the assembly dispersed about the rooms where the guests were now arriving the marquis tried in vain to shake off the gloom which darkened his face the chiefs perceived the unfavourable impression made upon a young man whose devotion was still surrounded by all the beautiful illusions of youth and they were ashamed of their action however a joyous gaiety soon enlivened the opening of the ball at which were present the most important personages of the royalist party who unable to judge rightly in the depths of a rebellious province of the actual events of the revolution mistook their hopes for realities the bold operations already begun by montran his name his fortune his capacity raised their courage and caused that political intoxication the most dangerous of all excitements which does not cool till torrents of blood have been uselessly shed in the minds of all present the revolution was nothing more than a passing trouble to the kingdom of france where to their belated eyes nothing was changed the country belonged as it ever did to the house of bourbon the royalists were the lords of the soil as completely as they were four years earlier when hoche obtained less a peace than an armistice the nobles made light of the revolutionists for them bonaparte was another but more fortunate marceau so gaiety reigned the women had come to dance a few only of the chiefs who had fought the blues knew the gravity of the situation but they were well aware that if they talked of the first consul and his power to their benighted companions they could not make themselves understood these men stood apart and looked at the women with indifference madame de Gois, who seemed to do the honours of the ball endeavoured to quiet the impatience of the dancers by dispensing flatteries to each in turn the musicians were tuning their instruments and dancing was about to begin when madame de Gois noticed the gloom on de montrand's face and went hurriedly up to him i hope it is not that vulgar scene you have just had with those clodhoppers which depresses you she said she got no answer the marquis absorbed in thought was listening in fancy to the prophetic reasons which marie had given him in the midst of the same chiefs at la vivetiere urging him to abandon the struggle of kings against peoples but the young man's soul was too proud too lofty too full perhaps of conviction to abandon an enterprise he had once begun and he decided at this moment to continue it boldly in the face of all obstacles he raised his head haughtily and for the first time noticed that madame de Gois was speaking to him your mind is no doubt at fougere she remarked bitterly seeing how useless her efforts to attract his attention had been ah monsieur i would give my life to put her within your power and see you happy with her then why have you done all you could to kill her because i wish her dead or in your arms yes i may have loved the marquis de montauran 
when i thought him a hero but now i feel only a pitying friendship for him i see him shorn of all his glory by a fickle love for a worthless woman as for love said the marquis in a sarcastic tone you judge me wrong if i loved that girl madame i might desire her less if it were not for you perhaps i should not think of her at all here she is exclaimed madame de gois abruptly the haste with which the marquis looked round went to the heart of the woman but the clear light of the wax candles enabled her to see every change on the face of the man she loved so violently and when he turned back his face smiling at her woman's trick she fancied there was still some hope of recovering him what are you laughing at asked the comte de bauvin at a soap-bubble which is burst interposed madame de gois gaily the marquis if we are now to believe him is astonished that his heart ever beat the faster for that girl who presumes to call herself mademoiselle de venouille you know who i mean that girl echoed the count madame the author of a wrong is bound to repair it i give you my word of honour that she is really the daughter of the duc de venouille monsieur le comte said the marquis in a changed voice which of your statements am i to believe that of la bevetiere or that now made the loud voice of a servant at the door announced mademoiselle de venouille the count sprang forward instantly offered his hand to the beautiful woman with every mark of profound respect and led her through the inquisitive crowd to the marquis and madame de gois believe the one now made he replied to the astonished young leader madame de gois turned pale at the unwelcome sight of the girl who stood for a moment glancing proudly over the assembled company among whom she sought to find the guests at la vivetiere she awaited the forced salutation of her rival and without even looking at the marquis she allowed the count to lead her to the place of honour beside madame de gois whose bow she returned with an air that was slightly protecting but the latter with a woman's instinct took no offence on the contrary she immediately assumed a smiling friendly manner the extraordinary dress and beauty of mademoiselle de venouille caused a murmur throughout the ballroom when the marquis and madame de gois looked towards the late guests at la vivetiere they saw them in an attitude of respectful admiration which was not assumed each seemed desirous of recovering favour with the misjudged young woman the enemies were in presence of each other this is really magic mademoiselle said madame de gois there is no one like you for surprises have you come all alone all alone replied mademoiselle de venouille so you have only one to kill to-night madame be merciful said madame de gois i cannot express to you the pleasure i have in seeing you again i have truly been overwhelmed by the remembrance of the wrongs i have done you and am most anxious for an occasion to repair them as for those wrongs madame i readily pardoned those you did to me but my heart bleeds for the blues whom you murdered however i excuse all in return for the service you have done me madame de gois lost countenance as she felt her hand pressed by her beautiful rival with insulting courtesy the marquis had hitherto stood motionless but he now seized the arm of the count you have shamefully misled me he said you have compromised my honour i am not a 
geronte of comedy and i shall have your life or you will have mine marquis said the count haughtily i am ready to give you all the explanations you desire they passed into the next room the witnesses of this scene even those least initiated into the secret began to understand its nature so that when the musicians gave the signal for the dancing to begin no one moved mademoiselle what service have i rendered you that deserves a return said madame de Gois, biting her lips in a sort of rage did you not enlighten me as to the true character of the marquis de montreuil madame with what utter indifference that man allowed me to go to my death i give him up to you willingly then why are you here asked madame de Gois, eagerly to recover the respect and consideration you took from me at la vivetiere madame as for all the rest make yourself easy even if the marquis returned to me you know very well that a return is never love madame de Gois took mademoiselle de venouille's hand with that affectionate touch and motion which women practise to each other especially in the presence of men well my poor dear child she said i am glad to find you so reasonable if the service i did you was rather harsh she added pressing the hand she held and feeling a desire to rend it as her fingers felt its softness and delicacy it shall at least be thorough listen to me i know the character of the gar he meant to deceive you he neither can nor will marry any woman except ah yes mademoiselle he has accepted his dangerous mission to win the hand of mademoiselle duxelles a marriage to which his majesty has promised his countenance ah ah mademoiselle de venouille added not a word to that scornful ejaculation the young and handsome chevalier du vassar eager to be forgiven for the joke which had led to the insults at la devetiere now came up to her and respectfully invited her to dance she placed her hand in his and they took their places in a quadrille opposite to madame de Gois, the gowns of the royalist women which recalled the fashions of the exile court and their craped and powdered hair seemed absurd as soon as they were contrasted with the attire which republican fashions authorized mademoiselle de venouille to wear this attire which was elegant rich and yet severe was loudly condemned but inwardly envied by all the women present the men could not restrain their admiration for the beauty of her natural hair and the adjustment of a dress the charm of which was in the proportions of the form which it revealed at that moment the marquis and the count re-entered the ballroom behind mademoiselle de venouille who did not turn her head if a mirror had not been there to inform her of montreuil's presence she would have known it from madame du gua's face which scarcely concealed under an apparently indifferent air the impatience with which she awaited the conflict which must sooner or later take place between the lovers though the marquis talked with the count and other persons he heard the remarks of all the dancers who from time to time in the mazes of the quadrille took the place of mademoiselle de venouille and her partner positively madame she came alone said one she must be a bold woman replied the lady if i were dressed like that i should feel myself naked said another woman oh the gown is not decent certainly replied her partner but it is so becoming and she is so handsome i am ashamed to look at such perfect dancing for her sake 
isn't it exactly that of an opera girl said the envious woman do you suppose that she has come here to intrigue for the first consul said another a joke if she has replied the partner where she can't offer innocence as a dowry said the lady laughing the gar turned abruptly to see the lady who uttered this sarcasm and madame de Gois looked at him as if to say you see what people think of her madame said the count laughing so far it is only women who have taken her innocence away from her the marquis privately forgave the count when he ventured to look at his mistress whose beauty was like that of most women brought into relief by the light of the wax candles she turned her back upon him as she resumed her place and went on talking to her partner in a way to let the marquis hear the sweetest and most caressing tones of her voice the first consul sends dangerous ambassadors her partner was saying monsieur she replied you all said that at la devetiere you have the memory of a king replied he disconcerted at his own awkwardness to forgive injuries one must needs remember them she said quickly relieving his embarrassment with a smile are we all included in that amnesty said the marquis approaching her but she darted away in the dance with the gaiety of a child leaving him without an answer he watched her coldly and sadly she saw it and bent her head with one of those coquettish motions which the graceful lines of her throat enabled her to make omitting no movement or attitude which could prove to him the perfection of her figure she attracted him like hope and eluded him like a memory to see her thus was to desire to possess her at any cost she knew that and the sense it gave her of her own beauty shed upon her whole person an inexpressible charm the marquis felt the storm of love of rage of madness rising in his heart he wrung the count's hand violently and left the room is he gone said mademoiselle de venille returning to her place the count gave her a glance and passed into the next room from which he presently returned accompanied by the gar he is mine she thought observing his face in the mirror she received the young leader with a displeased air and said nothing but she smiled as she turned away from him he was so superior to all about him that she was proud of being able to rule him and obeying an instinct which sways all women more or less she resolved to let him know the value of a few gracious words by making him pay dear for them as soon as the quadrille was over all the gentlemen who had been at la devetiere surrounded mademoiselle de venouille wishing by their flattering attentions to obtain her pardon for the mistake they had made but he whom she longed to see at her feet did not approach the circle over which she now reigned a queen he thinks i still love him she thought and does not wish to be confounded with mere flatterers she refused to dance again then as if the ball were given for her she walked about on the arm of the, the comte de bovin to whom she was pleased to show some familiarity the affair of la vevetiere was by this time known to all present thanks to madame de Gois and the lovers were the object of general attention the marquis dared not again address his mistress a sense of the wrong he had done her and the violence 
of his returning passion made her seem to him actually terrible on her side marie watched his apparently calm face while she seemed to be observing the ball it is fearfully hot here she said to the count take me to the other side where i can breathe i am stifling here and she motioned towards a small room where a few card-players were assembled the marquis followed her he ventured to hope she had left the crowd to receive him and this supposed favour roused his passion to extreme violence for his love had only increased through the resistance he had made to it during the last few days mademoiselle de venille still tormented him her eyes so soft and velvety for the count were hard and stern when as if by accident they met his montran at last made a painful effort and said in a muffled voice will you never forgive me love forgives nothing or it forgives all she said coldly but she added noticing his joyful look it must be love she took the count's arm once more and moved forward into a small boudoir which adjoined the card-room the marquis followed her will you not hear me he said one would really think monsieur she replied that i have come here to meet you and not to vindicate my own self-respect if you do not cease this odious pursuit i shall leave the ballroom ah he cried recollecting one of the crazy actions of the last duc de lorraine let me speak to you so long as i can hold this live coal in my hand he stooped to the hearth and picking up a brand held it tightly mademoiselle de venouille flushed took her arm from that of the count and looked at the marquis in amazement the count softly withdrew leaving them alone together so crazy an action shook marie's heart for there is nothing so persuasive in love as courageous folly you only prove to me she said trying to make him throw away the brand that you are willing to make me suffer cruelly you are extreme in everything on the word of a fool and the slander of a woman you suspected that one who had just saved your life was capable of betraying you yes he said smiling i have been very cruel to you but nevertheless forget it i shall never forget it hear me i have been shamefully deceived but so many circumstances on that fatal day told against you and those circumstances were stronger than your love he hesitated she made a motion of contempt and rose oh marie i shall never cease to believe in you now then throw that fire away you are mad open your hand i insist upon it he took delight in still resisting the soft efforts of her fingers but she succeeded in opening the hand she would fain have kissed what good did that do you she said as she tore her handkerchief and laid it on the burn which the marquis covered with his glove madame de goix had stolen softly into the card-room watching the lovers with furtive eyes but escaping theirs adroitly it was however impossible for her to understand their conversation from their actions if all that they said of me was true you must admit that i am avenged at this moment said marie with a look of malignity which startled the marquis what feeling brought you here he asked do you suppose my dear friend 
that you could despise a woman like me with impunity i came here for your sake and for my own she continued after a pause laying her hand on the hilt of rubies in her bosom and showing him the blade of her dagger what does all that mean thought madame de gois but she continued you still love me at any rate you desire me and the folly you have just committed she added taking his hand proves it to me i will again be that i desire to be and i return to fougere happy love absolves everything you love me i have regained the respect of the man who represents to me the whole world and i can die then you still love me said the marquis have i said so she replied with a scornful look delighting in the torture she was making him endure i have run many risks to come here i have saved m de bauvin's life and he more grateful than others offers me in return his fortune and his name you have never even thought of doing that the marquis bewildered by these words stifled the worst anger he had ever felt supposing that the count had played him false he made no answer ah you reflect she said bitterly mademoiselle replied the young man your doubts justify mine let us leave this room said mademoiselle de venouille catching sight of a corner of madame du gois's gown and rising but the wish to reduce her rival to despair was too strong and she made no further motion to go do you mean to drive me to hell cried the marquis seizing her hand and pressing it violently did you not drive me to hell five days ago are you not leaving me at this very moment uncertain whether your love is sincere or not but how do i know whether your revenge may not lead you to obtain my life to tarnish it instead of killing me ah you do not love me you think of yourself and not of me she said angrily shedding a few tears the coquettish creature well knew the power of her eyes when moistened by tears well then he cried beside himself take my life but dry those tears oh my love my love she exclaimed in a stifled voice those are the words the accents the looks i have longed for to allow me to prefer your happiness to mine but she added i ask one more proof of your love which you say is so great i wish to stay here only so long as may be needed to show the company that you are mine i will not even drink a glass of water in the house of a woman who has twice tried to kill me who is now perhaps plotting mischief against us and she showed the marquis the floating corner of madame de gois's drapery then she dried her eyes and put her lips to the ear of the young man who quivered as he felt the caress of her warm breath see that everything is prepared for my departure she said you shall take me yourself to fougere and there only will i tell you if i love you for the second time i trust you will you trust me a second time ah marie you have brought me to a point where i know not what i do i am intoxicated by your words your looks by you by you and i am ready to obey you well then make me for an instant very happy let me enjoy the only triumph i desire i want to breathe freely to drink of the life i have dreamed to feed my illusions before they are gone for ever come come to the ballroom and dance with me 
they re-entered the room together and though mademoiselle de venille was as completely satisfied in heart and vanity as any woman ever could be the unfathomable gentleness of her eyes the demure smile on her lips the rapidity of the motions of a gay dance kept the secret of her thoughts as the sea swallows those of the criminal who casts a weighted body into its depths but a murmur of admiration ran through the company as circling in each other's arms voluptuously interlaced with heavy heads and dim sight they waltzed with a sort of frenzy dreaming of the pleasures they hoped to find in a future union a few moments later mademoiselle de venille and the marquis were in the latter's travelling carriage drawn by four horses surprised to see these enemies hand in hand and evidently understanding each other francine kept silent not daring to ask her mistress whether her conduct was that of treachery or love thanks to the darkness the marquis did not observe mademoiselle de venille's agitation as they neared fougeres the first flush of dawn showed the towers of st leonard in the distance at that moment marie was saying to herself i am going to my death End of section fourteen